Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep and more. If you have kids now, what was your journey to parenthood like? Was it a decision you struggled over or did you always know you wanted kids? What about conception? It's not an easy road for everyone. Jess Moore is a friend of mine who went to every length to have her baby boy, Elliot, who turned two this year. Jess, welcome to Feed, Play, Love. Hello, Siobhan. (laughs) Thank you for talking with me on the show um, because I feel like I had a bird's eye view of everything you went through to have beautiful Elliot. Um, (laughs) And I think it's something we don't talk about enough. We might have friends who are going through it, but we may not entirely understand. So I'm hoping we can get that across to people today. But let's yeah. start with the most important thing. How is Elliot? How would you describe him as a little boy? Well, up until three days ago, he was a beautiful little boy. And now we've woken <laughs> up and gone, where's our baby gone? <laughs> He's just turned into the terrible twos. Oh, yes. That hits you like a ton of bricks. <laughs> yeah, just like everything's just such, he's just got a really strong nature now and um, yeah, it's really hard, but he's adorable. He is adorable. So let's start at the very beginning. Did you always know that you wanted to have kids? 100%. It was not negotiable. Yep. It was in me from very young and always, 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 it, was, it felt like a driving, it felt like my purpose in life. So yes, it was 100%. And how old were you when your friends started having kids? I guess, I can't really remember. How old were you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was 32 when we had Darcy. Yeah, I think it must have happened. Yeah, it was happening in the 30s. Yeah. And I've got older sisters who were having children around me. And then my younger sister started having them too. So it was definitely... Yeah, your younger sister started 20s. having them and never stopped. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. So I guess it would have been late 20s it all started happening for me, yeah. around me, yeah. And where exactly. were you at that point in your life? Were you in a position where you could have kids? Like how, how were you placed when that started happening for your friends? Oh, look, I desperately wanted, I was really envious of all of them, but I hadn't wasn't in a relationship that was going to kind of make that happen. Even though I, yeah, I was ready for it, but um, mm. and then my mother passed away, so I just kind of that kind of stopped everything for a bit. So, but I was always ready. I just uh, was went from one relationship to another and another, and it never. They, we never got to that point where we were going to try and have babies. Did you ever talk to them about it when you started seeing them? Like it, it seems pretty much. Maybe that's why it didn't last. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was definitely in the forefront with all my relationships, yeah. Yeah, and was that a hard discussion to have? I don't know, but I do remember once a friend saying, oh, and this is, you know, a sign of the times back then, and I was like um, early 30s, and he's like, oh, you're at that dangerous age. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's, oh the, the age where women want to have kids now. I remember saying that. Um, but, yeah, no, no, they all wanted to, but they just weren't ready. And that was the hardest thing 
Yeah. Is that they just weren't ready and they all wanted to and they just didn't want to grow up to that point yet. And what was it that was the driving force for you at that point? Was it just that you wanted kids or was there, you know, I was very aware of my biological clock ticking. Yeah, that too. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, yeah, all of that. And wanting to be uh, definitely the biological clock and just being, wanting to be young and just to get on with it. I mean, obviously financially it wasn't all great, but I was like, let's just, we'll just try and then we'll see where, you know, and we'll survive. Mm. Well, you're never ready, are you? No, exactly. So, um, but they just weren't ready. They were still partying. Yeah. Basically. Right. Sounds like that happens a lot. Yeah. What was it like for you? I know you have lots of close girlfriends and that you have a big family, lots of sisters and children all about. What is that experience like when you are ready to have babies? You know that, you know, with fertility, you have to get cracking as soon as you can, really. What was that like for you emotionally? It was awful. It was awful. It was really, really awful. I think I was very depressed in my 30s. Very, very depressed about it all because it actually was all I wanted. Mm. Um, and I could just see it all happening and, and just slipping away from me. And I think I, felt I became quite desperate, really. Mm. And maybe that was not great in my relationships as well. I think there's something very unique about a woman's desire to have a child um, with all the you know, I know that we've got lots of different ideas of gender, but I do believe that when you want a child and it's un- and you're unable to have it as a woman, knowing that you have the p- the plumbing, you know, yeah, yeah, you have the plumbing to be able to make it happen. It's something that is rightly or wrongly expected of women anyway. But when you want one and you can't have one, it's a very painful, unique driving force that I feel. It's very hard for people to understand just how impossible it feels at times. Yeah, and it felt so unfair because you had you're ready to go and you dizzy, but you needed this other part that I just couldn't find. It's like this that wasn't ready, mm. and it's like this responsibility that yeah we have to take on. But this just blokes weren't ready yet. Yeah, I found that really difficult. And and also, I'm wondering, did anyone say to you at that time, possibly me, <laughs> that um, ask you whether you considered doing it on your own? Uh, I don't think they had. And looking back now, it wasn't. It was a while ago, and it wasn't really as accepted. But uh, looking back now, yeah, I probably would think differently now if it was suggested to me. It wasn't like the whole Me Too thing had happened by then. So yeah. it was very much still you needed a man and well, that was kind of my conception of it all. So no, I, I would have, but I just, I wasn't, it wasn't suggested to me at all. So when you met Elliot's dad, yes. how soon was it that you brought up the kids thing? Because oh, you'd already we, been... we, was, we were literally both straight away. Right on to us because he was older too, and he'd been waiting, and we we both had the exact same desire. So that was fantastic. It was it was like, yeah, we connect, we fit right, we feel right, and we both want a baby. Let's not stuff around. Let's go for it. Okay, so once you decided that, obviously there is the first step, which we all try. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that, I'm sure. We don't need to go into details. But um, at what point did you realise, okay, this isn't going to work, we need to look at other measures to try and fall pregnant? Well, it's funny. I mean, there's a long story behind it all, but I actually very early on, like I think it was like two months into our relationships and um, early on I actually thought I was pregnant. I'd been to the GP and I had had lots of pain. It was all endometriosis related now. Looking back, I had no idea I had it then. And I'd been to her about something and she said there's a chance she could be pregnant then and I remember going home to Daniel going oh this is so exciting and we were both like whoa wouldn't that just be amazing (laughs) if it happened that quickly like how perfect oh god that breaks my heart hearing that now um so that was we were all excited and literally two days later I was at work and just went into excruciating pain and rang the doctor and she said, look, you might be an ectopic pregnancy going wrong or something. You, you need to go because that's quite dangerous. So, and I was in a crippled over pain. So I just caught a cab to the hospital mm-hmm. to emergency. And that's when it all started. And I wasn't pregnant. I, yeah, they, I had to have a, a scan done and another scan done. And I thought I had, I had a massive tumour. Oh, on my uterus. Yes, yeah. I remember so, that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, granular cell um, ovarian cancer, they thought. So that was, that's what happened then. Wow. So that happened, gone from being pregnant to a couple of days later, you need to be operated on and there's a chance it's cancer. So that changed everything. Wow. When you came out of that operation, I imagine there was a significant amount of recovery time. Oh, yeah. It was terrible. I don't ever remember you stopping wanting a child. Uh, And that's when the real hard work began because that's when it all unraveled. First of all, we go to hospital and like, okay, are we going to be able to save my uterus? And there obviously will be no chance you can have a child to waking up to it's not it's not cancer but you've got severe endometriosis and we need to operate again to get more of it out mm. so that went from that so then it was like okay so is there a chance I could have a child yes there is but you ha- cannot get pregnant while you have all this endo inside of you no so I had to go and have okay, I recovered from that one and then went in for another operation and then he my doctor at the time was like, okay, so as soon as we do it, we've worked out that that's the most fertile you can be. So we'll try naturally straight after the operation and see whether he can get pregnant naturally. And I, and I didn't. So then he's like, all right, we'll, we'll start IVF. So that's when we started the IVF rounds. How many IVF rounds did you have? I think it was 11. I can't remember. But I'm pretty oh, sure. Molly. Yeah. That's a lot. It, no, not many people go through that many rounds, do they? Yeah, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. And so effectively, you're now living in a caravan because you've got Yeah, no pretty much. <laughs> oh, That's why nothing's been done on the house. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So that happened because then I would have, do did a round of IVF. The first round was a devastating 
oh, you know, because then you start and then they stop because they're like, you haven't got any, there's no embryos, uh, any eggs growing, it's not working, so you stop. So that's, and then you get to wait again. And then the second round was started. I think I had like three, I went for egg collection. I think I had three, but got woken up saying, you need to have another operation because the endo's back again. So then it had to stop and went and had another operation. And then again and again. And then I can't remember. Must have been a blur. But how, in that time period, how long was it from when you started trying with IVF until you stopped trying and needed to look at other ways? Um, I think it was like two years. Yes, because from the outside looking in, it felt never ending. Yeah, I mean, it was two years. No, it's got to be longer than that. Mm. Uh, probably two to three, two years, two and a half years. So I went from one IVF place to another one, and then it wasn't until I actually ran into a friend who was an IVF doctor while I was getting my eggs collected, and she ran past. She was an old friend from Adelaide, and we had a big chat and um, let's catch up. We'll go, and we went and had dinner, and she had said to me you've got to stop trying, it's not going to happen. Mm. And that was basically the first time. And the problem with IVF is that you're so vulnerable because all you've got is hope. And if there's a little 1, 2% chance that it could happen, you're going to keep trying. And yeah. it's, and and that's where that's where it just you just goes on and on and on. And I think her whole thing was like these doctors, yeah, they, it can happen, but it's so minimal the chances I had had so much surgery and so much damage from the endometriosis that I my ovaries just were not making eggs and that was it and they were they were putting in I was on human growth hormones everything to try and stimulate just one egg so not on top of that I'd get one egg every time we do a collection I might get one or two eggs but then they wouldn't fertilize and there was nothing wrong with Daniel so it was all that and she just Said you're just going to keep on, and she was getting angry with the doctors because you need to say, "She's like enough, enough. It's not going to happen." Yeah, that must so, have felt devastating. It did, but it was also a relief because I just wanted to know, and you know, it was actually it was a relief. Yeah, because it's so emotional doing IVF. You just get your hopes up and down, up and down, and it was finally I had a I had a, a final point. You know, something it, 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 it was a full stop. So, what do we do next? Yeah. And what did you do next? Well, I had a very, very, very dear friend in Melbourne who had been watching me go through all of this. And she said to me, I want to give you my my eggs. Wow. And I went to Melbourne and I saw her. We went out with touch to organise a breakfast with another two women who had done it, two friends who had done it, mm. and they explained their experience from it all because I was so nervous and had a lot of trepidation about it all. And they were saying, no, it's fine. This is us now. Look, we're great. We've got this child. And that started to really, okay, this could work. And then my partner, Daniel, was really on board with it. So that was all fine. Everyone was happy for it, but it took a lot for me to get my head around it. Yeah, but we had to do counselling. The four of us, her partner, and her, my partner, and um, and I. So we did all of that, and then, you know, I finally got my head around it, and we went for it. And 
she did a round of IVF for me, which was just, you know, one of those things you can never repay yeah. someone to go through. And it was, it was just, yeah, that's a, that's a whole new story. So she did that and then she came up to Sydney and we went, did an egg collection. I went with her and she got quite a lot of eggs, which was fantastic. But unfortunately, only two fertilized, I think. Yeah. And there were some genetic problems with them because I had to do genetic testing. Anyway, I think, I don't think, it just didn't work basically. I think they tried to do a, what do you call it, transfer to me and it didn't work. Right. And then that was, yeah, I think I was, I had to wait a couple of days and there was a chance I was going to be pregnant. And then it just, it had, wasn't pregnant enough, they say. So you had, I was half pregnant mm-hmm. and it just didn't take. That was devastating because that had taken such a long process to get your head around it. Okay, it's going to work. But now, and now I get my head around the fact that, oh, it's going to be a donor from my girlfriend. How's my head going to cope with that whole reality? getting yourself ready for it and then it didn't work. And so by this stage I was broken. That how was do awful. You, how did you, I mean, you kept, even after that you kept going, how did you find the emotional strength to get through all that? I just, the drive was there and I remember Daniel saying, I just think we have to accept it might not happen. And I said, I won't. I don't want to. And not only that, we, we had looked into fostering as well, I mean adopting. So we'd had them come to our house and, you know, that was going to be our last point of call. And, you know, it does. there is a bit of guilt that goes with it when you are spending all this money and time trying to have a child yourself when there's these children who need help. Yeah. So that was a really hard thing to come to terms with mm. as well. And I think we just decided it was just so important for Daniel and me. I don't know. We just wanted to experience it. So, yeah, I felt guilty that we didn't go for the adoption. And our whole thing was at the end, we'll do adoption. There's absolutely no idea, but we just want to keep trying a little bit more. Mm. So, that yeah, that was it. So what was the next step after that? Oh, okay. So <laughs> as it goes on, and then by this stage, I'm broken and absolutely hysterical. And then I, my father, who's been a great support, he had a, an old friend of his who lives in Canada, has a son who lives in Toronto and runs a fertility clinic in Toronto. And dad got off the phone from me, hysterical, and then rang Tom and just said, this is the situation with my daughter can you tell me what to do? Because egg donation is a whole new thing in Australia. You can't mm. buy an egg. You have to. It has to be altruistic, which is how my girlfriend was able to give it to me. Yeah. And then so we looked into America to buying uh, eggs from America. I forgot about that bit. Well, that went on for ages, so we had to sit and wait. But it was just so so expensive. I think it was thirty US just to get a donor. And then to travel and all of that, and it was just getting more and more confusing. Anyway, you, my father thirty thousand US, yeah. Oh my word! I know. <laughs> After everything else, but that way you got to actually see the donor, read about them, whereas everywhere else is anonymous in the world. Yeah. And I didn't want anonymous. I wanted to be able to see characteristics and and read about who the donor was. Yeah. So that was really important to me. There's only a few countries where you could do that. 
the Twins. So, and in the US and Hawaii, like around there, I can't remember where else. But anyway, so that was just, we were getting nowhere with that. And then Dad rang this friend and he said, I'll speak to them, get me on a Skype call. So this is Dr. Hannam, we did a Skype call and he just said, look, yeah, you're definitely not going to get pregnant naturally because, and he explained the science behind it, that you need like 20 eggs or like 15 eggs to end up with a baby Wow! virtually when it goes through IVF. He said, generally, that's what you need. You need a collection of about 15 to be able to end up with one or two babies given what falls off, like what will fertilize, what won't, all the things that can go wrong. And that's the science. He said, that's why you weren't getting pregnant because you were getting two, maybe one egg. Mm. Not going to work. So um, he's like, there was a couple of places in Canada where, it's, so the law in Canada is the same as Australia, mm-hmm. uh, where it has to be altruistic, but there's a little bit of a gray area and there were agencies you could contact who had, women who were donating their eggs and you just had to cover their costs. So at least you got to see their database, see pictures of them, read about them. Yeah, you got those details. So that's where we started and that's where we found our donor. By this stage, we would just, just, just go, let's go 100%. Let's go. And so Daniel went to Canada Yes. Went to Toronto to leave his part of the deal. Um <laughs> And we, yeah, we had engaged this donor girl and she came in and did a did a cycle for us. And she, I think we got like 20 eggs or something with her. And she was quite young. So we knew, yeah, and then they fertilized and there was a lot. Yeah. So we were, in, we were looking good. And so then you, did you have to go to Canada for the transfer? Yeah, so then that's the next thing. I flew to Canada to do it but by the time I'd got there so we'd had because there's a lot more that have to happen you have to have all the eggs DNA tested to check if there's any abnormalities and then they rate them all so you know which is the best and whatever so we knew we had a good lot so it was ready to go so as soon as Daniel got back I went over and unfortunately by the time I'd got there he started doing all blood tests of me and he's like you're virtually going through menopause oh my god menopause has started which is a big side effect of all the drugs and operations I'd had basically. Yeah. So I had to he had to change all my I was on hormones already, change all my drugs, kind of reversed it and then got me ready. But it wasn't looking good. Because well, then the next big issue you have to go through is your lining, how thick your lining will be, will an egg plant into it. So every day I was, you know, walking in the snow, <laughs> middle of winter to get my lining checked, oh, it's half, you know, it's six centimetres, but it needs to be eight, no, not centimetres, eight, I think it must be millimetres. It's not quite there. Okay, well, it's good enough. Let's give this a go. So then I went in for a transfer in Toronto. Then again, the hard bit is I had to sit and wait to see if it took. So by this stage in Toronto, I'd be doing everything. I'd, I'd found someone to do acupuncture in me, on me and... <laughs> Just on on a full-on diet, trying everything, um, and then just had to sit and wait for a couple of days. And I th- the tests, I had a few blood tests that were looking okay. And then I had to fly back to Australia because I was just I had to get back because it's been too long and I couldn't actually afford to keep living there waiting. I had my flight booked for the day where I could have a pregnancy test where it would give you the proper result. But a couple of days before that, I had done a, a test from a shop. And, I, and it was negative. 
and I was really shaken and thought something's not right there. And I said to the doctor, is this not good? He's like, oh, we'll wait and see. And then he said it's not a great sign. But then I went and had the test and then I was at the airport and they rang me and they said there was some pregnancy hormone, but it wasn't enough. So you're kind of half pregnant and it's not going to take. So then I had to get on a plane and come home with that news after everything we'd been through. So that was that was pretty low. Oh, <laughs> that God. was almost the breaking point because by this stage I'm exhausted and also on so many drugs. Yeah. You know, I'd been doing so many drugs and hormones. So it was just, that broke me. Yeah, yeah. I was hysterical. The doctor had rung me and I was at the airport hysterical. People didn't know what's happened and he felt terrible. So, uh, and it was just finding the energy to keep going. Yeah. So then arrived back in Australia, completely broken. But then this doctor was just like, okay, that's it. I'm sending, we're going to keep half of the eggs here and I'm sending the other half to Australia. And this is, yeah. So, and he just got straight onto it. He got someone to send and bring them back for me. Yeah. Um, and then another family, another friend that you know helped who you know in Adelaide was like had known my whole story, and he said, "Get them here. I'll do it. I'll take over now. I'll do it. I'll try my hardest, and I'll try and get her pregnant." So the embryos get sent to Adelaide, and I go and see this new doctor, and <laughs> he's like did all these things on me. He's pretty funny, you know. All the others have been so extreme, and he was quite relaxed and. He's like, okay, I'm going to do this thing I'd been reading about. Is like we flush your uterus with op- oh, was it with op- with poppy seeds, with, like <laughs> poppy seed oil and all of this sort of stuff. He did all these things on me, got me on this full on new drug, and then we just went for it. And that's that's what happened. And it was fascinating because we'd been in Toronto. Uh, this doctor who was fantastic and really advanced, he he said he kind of knew because he'd been working out that when you do a transfer, because you actually have an ultrasound, you can see where the, the embryo goes. Mm. And he had said, which had never happened to me before, anywhere else I'd been, he, they will stop and watch for another five minutes afterwards as soon as the transfers happen. Oh. And I was like, why? And he said, because we've worked out now that you can sit and watch and you can actually watch the uterus React so if it contracts upwards, we know that the the embryo is taken. Wow! If it does nothing, we know that there's a half a chance because it's just sitting there. And then he said, then unfortunately, you can see when it, the uterus contracts the other way, and you know straight away at that moment that it's been rejected, which is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, when I was there in Canada, what had happened is that it had just done nothing. So that's why he was like, mm, could could work because it yeah. had happened to a woman before. So I'm telling this story to the doctor in Australia in Adelaide while he's making me hold my own ultrasound going, so what is it they say in Toronto after it just <laughs> transferred Elliot? And I said, well, they said if it contracts. And he's like, oh. So my sister and I are sitting there watching. And he goes, oh, it's definitely contracting. Oh, And wow. I was like, which way is it? Where's it going? He goes, it's upwards. And I'm like, where's it going? He's like, in your uterus. So <laughs> we knew there was a chance then. Yeah. Do you remember what you were doing, where you were when you found out you were 100% pregnant? Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm Siobhan, this is such, it sounds like 
I'm making this up, but I had bought, yeah, a stick, and I think, like, you have to wait 14 days or something. I think on day 10, I, I did a test, and there was two lines, <gasps> and I didn't believe it. And I showed Daniel, and he's like, yeah, you're pre-. I was like, no. So I texted the doctor, and I said, is this a good sign? And he goes, yeah, that's a very, very good sign. And then I have to go away for work, but he's still testing me just to keep sure, to making sure my level's uh, are strong because um, I would just inject myself with some hormones just to keep the pregnancy strong and healthy, mm. just the early bits. Mm. And I'd had a test in the morning before I went to work. I was away and I came back that night. I hadn't heard from him. Then he rang me that night and he said, I'm, he said, I just, I'm flabbergasted. I don't know what's wrong, but your levels have dropped right off and you're going to miscarry. Oh, God. Which was just, Again, hysterics, family, the worst. And he said, this just doesn't seem right. Just leave. I'm just going to just let me look into it. But yeah, this, if this, this is what the results are. He rings me back about an hour later saying the lab gave you the wrong results. Oh, else's. my God. You're 100% pregnant. Oh so my that was God. yeah. So that was awful. So oh. then that was that, and then then I had the bleed and ended up in hospital. And they're like, no, it's, it's the baby's still there, and that's great. And then the last thing, which was the worst, and this is when I knew it was going to be fine. Well, not through the story, but again, I had another bleed at night, and it was quite severe. So Daniel and I went to hospital, sat up there, was waiting, waiting, and then you know, uh, into what do you call them? A young doctor came around and. And she was showing people around and said, yeah, sorry, you're miscarrying. Oh, for freak's sake. Yeah, and that was just devastating. I had the most beautiful nurse with me, but that was it. So I think by that stage, we were quite far down the track and we'd just been told, yeah, yeah, you're, you've lost this baby. And I think the two of us couldn't even talk by this stage. But I wasn't allowed to leave the hospital because I had to have an ultrasound just to check what everything was happening in my tummy was okay. We'd gotten in there at, what, at 2 a.m. And by 10 a.m. I'm finally having the ultrasound. And Daniel's with me and we can't even talk. And then the woman did the ultrasound and said, oh, God, no, there's no miscarriage here. There's a very strong heartbeat here. Look. Oh, my God. Yes. I know. <laughs> And she said, this baby's not going anywhere, which is the problem is you're having a hemorrhage on the other side here. But that she said, no, 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 this is a strong heartbeat and it's, you've got a good, yeah, everything's looking fine. So that's when we knew. Holy was, moly. Why but aren't I was you exhausted. a basket case? <laughs> uh, I, we left exhausted. And then I was like, okay, I'm too scared to enjoy pregnancy. When can I start enjoying it? I was too scared. But anyway, so that, that was it and that was Elliot. And so did you get to a point where you were able to relax? Because I, I remember seeing you when you were pregnant and I, I, I kept thinking after everything she's been through, you're taking to this like a duck to water. And I, I found that really impressive, but I was kind of in awe of you. I'm like, how has she gone through all of this trauma, really, emotional trauma, and now she's pregnant? pregnant and she just seems so natural and easy with it oh thank you I've seen so many people go through it and I wanted it so bad and I knew that it was I just knew it was going to feel right and I think um after that moment where the heartbeat was strong and I think it was 
Actually, it was probably after you know you had that ultrasound where they check and everything fine. Mm. Um, where they, it was after that. I mean, we knew genetically the baby was fine because it had been tested to the nth degree all around the world. So we knew <laughs> there was going to be no genetic problems with him. But it was just making sure he was formed. I think it was that ultrasound when everything's fine. They're like, yeah, you're so, this is good now. That's when I was like, okay, I'm really going to get into this and enjoy it. And I absolutely loved it. I loved being pregnant. Yeah. Well, goodness, anything would have been easy after what you'd been through. I know. I know. What about the actual birth? What about birth? What about the time when you first held Elliot? Well, that was another thing because all I had ever wanted was to be able to have him naturally, which I knew was a big stretch given my age. And the doctor... I had who was fantastic. He said, "Look, yeah, we'll try, we'll try, but it's unlikely." I haven't even then, said how old you were when you had. Elliot. Oh yeah, how old was I? I can't I think. I I, I I I I was forty-four when I had him. Right. So they um, said we'd try. We'll try. He to said have... we'll try, and then he then he's like, "Oh look, look, his due date is around when when I'm going to be away. So you, you're going to have to see this other doctor who's my fill-in. And I went and saw him and he said, no, you're going to have to, we're scheduling you in for a cesarean, which really upset me. But mm. I was like, oh. And then I um, went back to my doctor and he knew I was really upset about that. And he's like, I know you really want to try. And he said, I'm not against it, but I'm just telling you the, the chance, it's really dangerous for the baby. So that was fine. I kind of accepted it. So I literally didn't go to any of the birthing classes or anything. I didn't <laughs> need to bother. And then coming up, I was to, with his due date and I asked the doctor just before if he could do a, because oh, then I had like, I had to have iron infusions and all this other stuff. And just a couple of things went wrong and they were keeping a closer watch on me. And then I asked him to do a sweep on me just to see if something could happen. It was about three, two weeks off his due date. Mm. And I don't know why he said he could do it by then. I just had enough, I think. And he did. And then uh, he said, this won't work because it never works for the first time, just so you know. Yeah. And woke up that morning and my waters had broke. Wow. So then I came in and then he's like, okay, so you can either, we can induce you now or you can go home. And I was like, induce me. I, I just don't <laughs> want to leave this hospital ever again without a baby. I'm just done. Yeah. So, yeah, and then I, the next thing I know, I'm like, I'm going to, well, not only am I going to have a baby, but I'm going to be able to deliver him. <laughs> and so with none to, of the classes beforehand. And I said, I didn't know anything. And I was like, oh, my God. All I, you know what? It's funny. I desperately wanted to know what labour pain felt like. And I wanted to know whether it was similar pain to endometriosis. I was, oh. I was, I was fascinated to know what the pain was like. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I got to do that. And then he was born... And about 8.30 that night, which was New Year's Eve, and I just, uh, just complete shock, complete, complete shock. <laughs> I think I sent you a photo later on that night. Oh, yeah. We were all so, so, so happy. Yeah, it was, it, it was a real shock. And I found that, and that's why I would love to have another one because I, I feel like definitely enjoyed him and everything but I said a lot of it was all about the shot that I've actually had a baby on top of everything else like mm. this actually did happen so yeah. I was in more in awe but and this is what I was saying to someone you know you never 
when you're on this journey, you never think beyond the point of having holding the baby. You, yeah. you just like that's the end goal. Yes. And the next thing you're there, and I had never prepared myself for what happens next. And yeah. so, what was that like? It was, I just, you know, it was just a couple of days of complete spaced outness of just, <laughs> I can't. Feeding and doing the natural things came naturally, but my head was just in shock that it had happened, that I was actually in charge, yeah, and that this baby was mine. Mm. So it was a bit shaky for a couple of days just with the the donor egg thing and, yeah. you know, mentally getting my head around that, and I was wondering when that was going to be an issue. You thought but that I you wouldn't a, be able to attach as bond as easily? Yeah. There's a couple of moments where the donor's, face and I, I could see her in him and it was really throwing me off. Mm. It was a real distraction and I remember starting to get into a bit of a mental dark hole on that and then I remember snapping myself out together and saying, this child needs you. This is not about you anymore. This is about him. Yeah. And he's got nothing to do with you and don't do that to him. And so I snapped myself out of it and that was kind of, and then I remember having a real bonding moment with him and from that point I was it's been like I. It's just he's he's mine, and yeah. we're we're in love. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what have the last two years of motherhood been like? Oh, well, tough because you know he was born just before COVID started, yes. and that's another thing about what makes him such a miracle because we could not have done any of this if this had been six months later. We would have had no chance yeah. with COVID. So I really feel for those people going through that. Oh, it's just it's just been bliss. It's hard, but bliss. It's everything I thought it would be and more. Yeah. You know, it's all the things everyone says and more and tiring. <laughs> <laughs> Completely And tiring. I got to breastfeed him as well. So for me, it was like I got to breastfeed and give him So There was such a sense of he is mine. That's all I really, really wanted to have that bond with him, just so he knows when he's older. How do you feel about all of that heartache looking back now? It blows my head away that we went through it all and I'm still in a little bit of shock from it all. And it was really tough on our relationship. There's a lot, you know, Daniel's been amazing support for it all and it's and my work has been amazing as well. I feel angry about a couple of things. You know, I'm angry that boys, men don't take this responsibility on earlier. Yeah, because it wasted my time. You know, and they, you know, you can stay in relationships and waste your time when your time is actually really precious. And had I, you know, things that weren't going to work out got sped up a bit earlier and time not wasted, I, I probably would have got on top of my endo and I would have had a chance to have a baby earlier. There's a couple of things I'm angry about, but there's no point looking back. Well, you've got lovely little Elliot. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who miraculously hasn't come back to harass you in this whole Well, this is a miracle. I think he's, Daniel must be doing something with him and he, he's so attached to me, which is a bit of a problem. I think I'm doing a bit, bit too much attachment parenting because <laughs> I think that's a real side effect about what I've been through, though. I just yeah. don't. And that's the thing. The hard thing is, is that we've got all these, we've got a couple more eggs sitting in storage, <laughs> freezing. <laughs> But I don't think, I'm not sure what we'll do with yeah. that. That is another conversation. Entirely, and that was another thing, you know, everyone was like, oh, get get pregnant again. And I was like, you don't understand. I just want to enjoy every moment with this now. Mm. I yeah. totally get it. Well, Jess, yeah. I 
am so happy that this happened for you and you are you. so good at it. No matter how tired you are, he's a very happy little boy. Oh, so yes, he's fine. guys. Thank you, Siobhan, and thanks for all your support. Anytime. I did stop sending those cards, like you said, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> You're great, isn't it? <laughs> Jess, and thank you so much for your honesty in this conversation. It's, I, it, it was such a challenging and tough experience for you. I feel like I just tell it as a story, but I'm not actually, I'm a bit detached from it now. Oh, Jess, thank you, darling, and uh, I will see no you worries. soon. Okay. Thanks, see ya. Jess. Bye. Bye. That's Jess Moore, and she was talking about her experience of having her son, Elliot. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.